Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And it's been a while since I have done a history segment on a particular village or town or city. So I decided today that I would go back and do a segment on one of those. And today we're going to focus on Three Rivers, Michigan over in St. Joseph County and learn a little bit about the history of Three Rivers. And stick with me to the end of this podcast episode because I've got a really, really cool announcement to tell you about. So... Let's get into some history of Three Rivers, Michigan. So the first reference I'm going to refer to was an outline of history of St. Joseph County. And they talk a little bit about Three Rivers in this reference. And it's from the Bowens, Michigan State Atlas. And they have a little bit of historical description. It was published by the B.F. Bowen and Company in 1916 out of Indianapolis, Indiana. And it describes that St. Joseph County was laid out and organized in 1829 and takes its name from a river which flows through it. And the river in turn was so called in honor of the patron saint of New France. Now, I've mentioned that before on this podcast about the origin of the name St. Joseph and the St. Joseph River being used throughout southwest Michigan. It is after the patron saint of New France, and it comes from the era when France was the occupying country of this region, and it's probably one of the oldest names made of places and locations in southwest Michigan other than the Native American names. Um, because it goes back to the era of the French. So St. Joseph County was named after the patron saint of New France, and it is located in the extreme southern part of the Lower Peninsula. It is bounded on the north by Kalamazoo County and on the east by Branch County and on the south by the state of Indiana and on the west by Cass County. So the total land area is 319,794 acres. And remember, this is written in 1916, and it says nearly 301,000 acres of that are farms. The population during this time, 1910 census, was 25,499 people in the entire county. So moving down to some of the descriptions of the town, it it mentions Sturgis and Centerville, and it says other towns in the county are Burr Oak, Colon, Constantine, Menden, and Three Rivers, and White Pigeon. And it describes that uh, Three Rivers, with a population of about 5,000 people, is located at the junction of the Portage, Rock, and St. Joseph Rivers, hence the name. And it is a station on the Michigan Central Railroad and the Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railway, six miles west of Centerville. The location of the city is unique in itself, and each of these three streams are wide-sweeping bends and are bordered with rich farmlands and woods. The city has broad, well-paved, and beautifully shaded streets, is lighted by electricity, has waterworks, 
sewage system, fire department, several churches, and a $30,000 Union High School, a commercial college, and a public library, four ward schools, an opera house, first-class hotels, two banks, a daily newspaper, etc., Each of the rivers offer excellent water power facilities, and each is harnessed by a mammoth cement dam. Principal manufacturers embrace interurban cars. So they manufactured interurban cars in three rivers. I found that fascinating. Also, hand cars, observation cars, and railroad velocipedes. They also made wool garments and sweaters paper, rattan furniture, brass goods, farm implements, and electrical supplies and castings. That was the manufacturing industry. So I found that fascinating that they manufactured railroad cars there as well as interurban cars. That's kind of a unique industry that I've not come across. I'd like to dig into more of that and perhaps do a separate episode with somebody from the Historical Society at Three Rivers and maybe go into more depth of that manufacturing. That would be fun. They also mention a pork packing establishment, two robe tanneries, and one of the largest strawberry nurseries in the world was in Three Rivers. Now, this was published in 1916. It's kind of interesting. So some of the Other fascinating stories about it is the organizational years, and I found a great write-up that was published on the internet in 1997 on the history of Three Rivers. So I'm going to go into some of the early history of the first settlers and who laid out and platted the town of Three Rivers as we know it today. Now, Three Rivers is located in Lockport Township, and Lockport Township originally was a much larger township than it is currently. It was organized in 1829, and then it was later reorganized in 1833. And it had been reorganized in that time as it is today in Michigan. So in general, it's like other townships in St. Joseph County. Uh, It was well-drained. It contained prairie land covered with light timber of the burr oak variety in the early days. Uh, Burr oak was a tree that was used a lot in building cabins and structures when the early pioneers came. Uh, And the land was mostly level, except it became rolling and heavily timbered as you neared the rivers. Its soil was usually a sandy loam, and it did have one noticeable difference from other townships in that it had very little swampland. It contains several lakes and four rivers, and the four rivers in these three rivers areas, St. Joseph, Portage, Rocky, and Hog Creek, which was later called Prairie River, um, three of them joined together, as I mentioned before, which created the Three Rivers name. Now, in 1828, Jacob McIntyfer of Wayne County, Ohio, came to that area and selected a one-mile square section of land west of the Rocky River. And he brought his wife and seven children here to Michigan in the spring of 1829. And so he established a farm and a homestead. Now, the other families that followed was the Rowans, Armstrong, and Davis families. They became neighbors from Ohio, and they accompanied him. The latter three families 
eventually settled in Montville. The McIntyre family lived in their wagons and makeshift shanty until their log cabin was completed in the summer of 1829. He started to build a mill, but he was overtaken and died in 1831. So I suppose that he became ill during that time period. And his mill was bought and finished by Michelle Beadle. And McIntyre's death was the first in the township, and his funeral services were the first religious services ever held in the township. The first birth and death of a child was McIntyre's granddaughter, the daughter of Solomon McIntyre. The first marriages in the community were the daughters of the McIntyre's family, and Mary was married to David Winchell in November of 1830, and Sarah, the other daughter, married William McIntosh that same year. The first school was held in McIntyre's log cabin, which was the first log cabin built in the township. Father Arnie was the school teacher, and McIntyre was the first white man to till the soil and sow crops. George Buck and family were the next settlers to locate in the area, and they arrived in 1830. So originally, McIntyre came essentially with his whole family, and there were three other families that came from Ohio with him, but they settled over in Montville, which is nearby. So the second family to really settle in what became known as Lockport Township was George Buck and his family. And he built a double log house in the second ward of the present city of Three Rivers, and it became the first tavern. And it was the center of all social and political gatherings for several years in the emerging village of Three Rivers. The first convention was held there, and and this event was associated with Mrs. Buck. And she, without any assistance, prepared the dinner for 75 people at that first convention that was held there. George Buck was the second man to farm in the locality. He was also the first postmaster for several years, and he planted the first apple orchard in Three Rivers. Charles B. Finch, afterwards became the judge of the circuit court, was the next family to head to the Three Rivers area. He had several hundred acres in Section 31, just south of Three Rivers. He had originally settled in White Pigeon for a year, and then he established his farm up there or his purchased his land up near the Three Rivers area because he envisioned a power site on Hog Creek. And several of his family apparently still live in the county. Michelle Beadle arrived in 1831 and located on the west side of the Rocky River. He bought and finished the McIntyre Mill, which had been dropped by McIntyre after his death. And so Mr. Beadle built the first two framed houses, as I mentioned before. Other families that would arrive was the family of John H. Bowman, Philip Hoffman, Borden Hicks, Eli Bristol, Burroughs, Murr, William Arney, as well as the Wolf family, Sterling, Prutzman, Moore, Millard, Fish, Armitage, Gardner, Leland, Good, Gascon, and the Major family. So there's a lot of people that started moving into the area post-1831 to about 1835. John Leland erected a sawmill 
on his land and later introduced the first improved farm machinery in the area. He made several improvements on the machinery and being a good mechanic started to use the power in his mill to manufacture reapers and threshing machines. The mill was the first to be run by friction drive instead of cog wheels and the largest red cedar tree in Michigan was found on his land being almost four feet in diameter and was taken to the Centennial Exhibition. In later years, he built a fine, large home that's still standing below the site of the Sturgis Dam. So this was written in 1997, so I don't know by confirmation if that building is still there, but uh, people in the area could probably tell you that. Mint raising in the community started in 1848, and eventually the Wolf Brothers became the first raisers of it, and they also raised wormwood and spearmint. Purebred stock raising did not start until about 1860. John Hoffman planted the first peach orchard in 1833, and William Arney planted a large orchard the following year. The first road that was laid out was done so by Matthew Rowan in June of 1833 from White Pigeon to the north side of Lockport Township. And it goes on to say that the first male white child born was Asa Bear, who was the son of John Bear. Harvey Hunt of Constantine operated the first stagecoach and mail route from White Pigeon through Lockport Township to Bronson, which is now Kalamazoo. The first brick house in the township was built by John Young. Now, there's some interesting history about the courthouse. Uh, Initially, concessions were made to have the county courthouse built in Three Rivers, and then... After they'd made the decision to build it there, the decision was changed and it was later reconsidered and moved over to Centerville, which had offered more liberal inducements and the courthouse was eventually built in Centerville. Interesting note is in 1836 in December, five pioneers, including George Buck, platted a small village just south of Three Rivers and they called it Lockport. And Still, people today, even in 1996, were still calling it. The village obviously got absorbed by Three Rivers as time went on. An immense power project was planned in Three Rivers at one point, and stock was sold, and a canal and other work started, but the Panic of 1837 broke most of the people that were financially backing the project, and then the project became scrapped. And then in November of 1836... The judge, John Bowen, platted out the village and called it Three Rivers. And it was located in what is known as the First Ward now in Three Rivers. And it grew and thrived. In 1871, the city extended its corporate limits to take in Lockport. And the Second Ward, which was already platted out, and then Canada, which was the third ward. So they had these small little villages that had names that were close to each other. They all became platted by three rivers. And interestingly enough, in the early days, in 1834, there were only six families living in three rivers. Uh, They were Burroughs Moore, Mr. Dawley's, Weatherby, Bowman, Lewis Frost, and John Leland. And only three had houses. So the rest of them shared houses with others, or they lived in their wagons, or had rough shanties built in the area. Now, in the manufacturing line, as the village became more established, there were several blacksmith shops, grist mills, sawmills, 
woolen mills, and there was a carding and cloth factory. And they were also manufacturer of corn shelters, and there were two carriage makers, and there was also a wagon factory, and another factory making axe handles and wheel spokes for wagons. And then there was also a distillery, and there were two paper mills, a brick kiln, and a soap factory. And then there were two pump factories and a plowworks factory. And then there was a manufacturer that made threshers that was called the Invincible Vibrating Threshers. And they also made cultivators. And there were two cigar makers and a manufacturer of hats for men. So these were some of the early manufacturing places. Among the first merchants was Smith & Bowman that was located at the present site of the Three Rivers House in Three Rivers. Um, Other merchants were J.B. Eddy, um, J. Gregory, Mosley, Dr. E.A. Eagery, Moore, and Prutzman. They were all the early pioneer merchants. A man named Moore and another man named Carlton each built hotels. And a man by the name of Washington Gascon made keel boats between 1836 and 1837. Being a river city, that makes sense in three rivers to have somebody making keel boats. So following that, a man named Moore designed the first arc boats, and another man named Millard built them for him. Their first boat that they built was called the Kitty Kidungo, and it carried flour over to Chicago from Three Rivers. Following this, Moore and another man named Prutzman built their own boats and started shipping grain and flour to Chicago. And then lumber boats were created, and... These were made from whipsawed lumber. The first bank was established and formed in 1864, and the second one was in 1872. And a man by the name of Lyon and another man by the name of Hewitt were the first attorneys in town. The first schoolhouse was built of logs, and it was 24 feet by 30 feet in size, and it was located in Lockport, In 1837, it had 46 students and a library. An old French trading post once stood near the LaSalle City Park, and it was operated by a man named Cassaway and another man by the name of Louis Gibson. And then later, a Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, and Methodist churches were built. The Masonic Oddfellows and Patrons of Husbandry lodges were formed. In the early days... There was Arnie's Silver Coronet Band, which was the real great musical organization within the community. And also early on, an institution built by a man named Silliman was the Magnetic Springs Sanitarium. And it was a busy institution during that time. And the building where that was once operated still was standing in 1996 when this article was written near the St. Joseph River and near the center of the city. Uh, Riverside Cemetery in Three Rivers was laid out in 1858 and the first cemeteries were the old Bowman and Oakdale cemeteries and the Civil War record of Three Rivers was very good. A lot of men went and served in the Civil War during the time of recruitment. 
And there were some Indian legends from the Native Americans during that time of the early days, telling about some of the early wars between different tribes at that location, as well as some of the early trading posts that had bitter fights and lawsuits between the three early villages as they were formed. Today, Three Rivers is a modern city, and it has a commission form of government. It has its own municipal water, electric and sewer systems, gas plant, fire department, parks, and its own tourism, as well as a lot of churches and schools and so forth in present day. So that was kind of an interesting collection of some of the early history of the pioneers. Um, some very interesting stories about the formation of the village and some of the manufacturing and businesses that were there. Some of the other features from present day about Three Rivers is there is the St. Gregory's Abbey, which is a Benedictine monastery of the Episcopal Church, and that was established in 1946. And once again, the city of Three Rivers draws its name from the confluence of the St. Joseph River and its two tributaries, the Rocky River and the Portage River. And the St. Joseph River flows into Lake Michigan, so you can see how that was a somewhat of a shipping business going on there where they could ship things all the way to Chicago from the Three Rivers area. And according to the 2010 census, there was a population of about 7,811 people in Three Rivers. But let's explore some notable people that came from Three Rivers. Uh, I always like to do that when I profile a village or city in southwest Michigan, if I can find any. Um, so Neil Ball. Now, this is an interesting story. Neil Ball was the first player in Major League Baseball in the history of Major League Baseball to pull off an unassisted triple play. And he also played for Three Rivers Semi-Pro Team in 1901. So it's interesting. He pulled off the first triple play in Major League Baseball history, and he was from Three Rivers. How about that? And the teams that he played for in Major League Baseball was the New York Highlanders, the Cleveland Naps, and the Boston Red Sox. And he pulled off that unassisted triple play in July of 1909. And he was playing for the Cleveland Naps in that game against the Boston Red Sox. Kind of an interesting history. Another person that came from Three Rivers who was born there was Harry Blackstone Jr., the famous magician that is often associated with Colon, Michigan, but he was from Three Rivers. Another actor, Daniel Bucco, who was known for the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, also Hannah Montana and iCarly. He performed in those films. Paul Christie was a former professional wrestler who came from Three Rivers. Charles Collingwood was a CBS television news correspondent. David R. Leach, former member of the Illinois General Assembly, came from Three Rivers. And Pete Metzlars was a former NFL player. He played 16 seasons in the NFL as a tight end. And some of the teams that he played for was the Seattle Seahawks, Buffalo Bills, Carolina Panthers, and the Detroit Lions. Following his playing career, he became a coach. There was also a silent film actor, Jack Perrin, who came from Three Rivers. And finally, there was Matt Thornton. He was, he's a retired professional baseball player now. He was born in Three Rivers, and he grew up and attended 
high school in Centerville. He played in Major League Baseball for the Seattle Mariners, Chicago White Sox, Boston Red Sox, and the New York Yankees. So sorry, ladies, I didn't find any notable women from Three Rivers. Doesn't mean that there weren't any. I just didn't find any when I did a search on that online. But that is the history of Three Rivers, Michigan, a little bit of a montage of different stories from the early pioneer days and the establishment of the village all the way up to present time with some of the uh, people that came from that town. I think it's kind of interesting, um, some of the history of it, because Three Rivers, according to some of the information from the St. Joseph County Historical Society, originally was four villages or settlements that had become merged together to form Three Rivers in 1855. And it's uh, kind of a fascinating history with a lot of the early pioneer stories that we went over there. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you enjoyed today's episode, as always, please leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And of course, now I have a big announcement to tell you about. My book, of course, coming out on March 11th, is entitled Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime. And I have now been able to set up a pre-order link on my website. So if you go over to michaeldelaware.com, and click on the button store at the top of the menu bar or just look for the big link right in the middle of the page. It says pre-order. You can't miss it on the website. And go ahead and pre-order the book. It helps me out a lot when you do that because if you're interested in buying the book anyways, if you pre-order, it allows me to use those funds to buy a good supply of books so that when I... uh, approach the release date. I not only fill your orders, but it allows me to um, buy more books at a discounted rate that way, which will allow me to get the book out there to others and a lot of other historical societies and so forth. They give you a little bit more of a discounted rate on your first purchase when you're a new author with History Press and when your new book is coming out. But after that, they charge me a different rate. So it's to my advantage to make the largest purchase the first time around when I order books. So having a pre-order system helps me out a little bit with that. Just some of the mathematics behind trying to run a business of that nature as an author. So once again, you can find that link on my website, michaeldelaware.com, and I hope you'll check it out, and I hope you'll do a pre-order today. That would be just wonderful to uh, see the orders coming through on that. I've already had several orders when I made the announcement over the weekend and um, been promoting it through the week. So I've got a lot of people already pre-ordering, but this is the first time I've mentioned it on this podcast. So love to have all you fans out there uh, pre-order yourself a copy of the book. You can also find a calendar on the site of where I'll be doing uh, talks after the book is released. I have scheduled talks in a lot of places across Southwest Michigan. I'll be in uh, everything from St. Joseph over to Jackson, Battle Creek, Marshall, Albion, Uh, Kalamazoo. Uh, There's just a lot of places I've lined up. I've even got a talk down in Colon, Michigan at the Colon Library. So in Hastings, Michigan, up in Hastings, Michigan. So I'm going to be traveling around quite a bit between March, April, and May doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements. Should be a lot of fun. And I'm also working on setting up other ones uh, in Charlotte, Michigan area, and a few other places. So 
And on social media, I am now on Instagram. You can find my handle, Michigan History Guy, at uh, on Instagram. So if you're trying to uh, follow me there to find out information, I will be posting uh, as the dates approach of places that I'm going to be uh, speaking at in the weeks ahead of time. So you can find graphics and images on there about where those places are. Um, and I intend to kind of post that information there in addition to my Facebook author page. So you can follow me on Facebook or you can follow me on Instagram, whichever is easiest for you. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. And I hope you enjoyed it enough that you'll come along next time. And as we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. Thank you.